I was asked a question this week regarding an oft-quoted but generally misunderstood promise made by the Lord Jesus. Uh, It takes place in the upper room where Jesus was meeting with his disciples the night before his crucifixion. And after I looked into this question a bit more and tried to find an answer, I thought it might be helpful and profitable to bring it to all of you tonight. It's found in John's Gospel, chapter 14. John, chapter 14. Here, the disciples this night, they've been informed that Jesus is going away. He's going back to His Father in heaven. And the disciples are quite distraught. We see that in verse 1 where He says, Let not your heart be troubled. Uh, They were of a troubled heart. And Jesus has been seeking to comfort them and and give them help and instruction. And um, part of that help and instruction is found in this promise in verse 12 where Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do. Uh, greater works than he will do because I go to my Father. And so here we here have this promise of Christ of far greater usefulness after he leaves than while he was with them. And I'm sure that was a major concern they had. Jesus is going away. We've been following him, watching everything he's doing. Now, he had them do some things, but most of it was all in his hands. He was healing the sick. He was preaching. He was doing everything. And now he's going away and leaving it in their hands. And so I think you would be quite uh, concerned and distraught as well if a great work was left in your hands. What are we going to do? Is it going to prosper? Is it going to work? Well, Jesus makes this promise. And the essence of the promise was expressed well by Gordon Ketty, who said He's saying, in essence, the best is yet to come. Well, what is that best? Um, Well, we want to look, first of all, at the, the certainty of this promise. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, it's that uh, double amen he used. Verily, verily, I say to you, Uh, this is a solemn and weighty promise with much assurance. In other words, he said, what I'm about to say to you is of momentous, of a momentous nature, of a solemn and weighty significance. Please listen up. This is something that we can count on. Now, of course, every single word of the Lord Jesus can be counted upon. As was said this morning, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Or was that yesterday at Al's picnic? I can't remember. I think Al, you used it. Uh, that His word will never alter. His word will never uh, fall flat. His promises are yea and amen. This is something we can count upon. Now, the promise itself is twofold. He says, the works that I do, He will do, and greater works He will do. Now, what did Jesus mean by the works that I do? And what about the greater works? Uh, what is he saying here? Well, first of all, what did Jesus mean by the, the works that I do? 
Now, some have sought to explain this as simply doing good and works of humility and mercy and love, but uh, I believe it does refer to more than this, um, but uh, it at least includes that. Um, but he says in John 15, if I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not, they would have no sin, but now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. And he's referring there to his, his works of, of miracles, at, at least that's included in it. But the, uh, the next phrase is the most perplexing, um, is the greater works. Uh, some say that it refers to greater miracles. That Jesus is promising that Christians, and notice he says those who believe in me, uh, that he's promising that Christians would do greater physical miracles than Jesus himself performed. Now, let me just ask you a simple question. What could be greater than the miracles Jesus performed while here on earth? You think of it, he walked on the water. He calmed the raging sea. He healed a man who was blind from birth. He fed 5,000. He raised a man who was dead for four days. And we could go on and on. And he healed great multitudes and so forth, which I'll mention in a minute. But um, now we do find in the book of Acts similar miracles recorded in the book of Acts and they were performed by the apostles. But certainly... You can't find greater miracles than the ones Jesus himself performed. Uh, some say that it was greater in number, that his people would perform more miracles than he did while on earth. But again, if you compare the number of miracles of Jesus with those recorded of his disciples in the book of Acts, you'll, you'll find that Jesus performed many more than they did. Uh, miracles for Jesus were his daily work, you see. He went about performing miracles. They were bringing people to him constantly uh, wherever he went. Uh, people were wanting to be healed. And so that was his daily work. Now, in the book of Acts, we find that the apostles, the works of miracles were occasional, certainly not more than he did. This promise was not for greater miracles, I don't believe. It was, well, if it was, if it was greater miracles, then I cannot think of a single time in the history of the New Testament church from the time of Christ till the present day that this promise was ever fulfilled. I've heard a lot of Pentecostal and charismatic preachers quote this verse and even shake it in our face. Uh, but I've never seen a single one of them perform a miracle even close to one of the miracles of Jesus Christ, let alone greater works. Rather, I believe Jesus was referring here to the greater work, or miracle you could call it, the work of conversion. The great work of conversion, the converting of a soul, bringing him out of darkness into his marvelous light, taking out the stony heart and putting in a heart of flesh, opening his blind eyes, opening his deaf ears. All of that is a far greater work than the physical miracles which Jesus performed. It's one thing to open the eyes of the physically blind 
or to raise those who are physically dead and bring them to life. It's another thing, a far greater thing, to open the spiritual eyes of the spiritually blind or to raise the spiritually dead and to quicken them and make them alive. Indeed, conversion is truly the greatest miracle of all. When Jesus sent out the 70 to heal the sick and and so forth, you remember how they came back rejoicing. And uh, they, they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus immediately cautioned them, do not rejoice in this, he says, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. That's a greater thing, a more valuable thing than casting out demons. The one thing he wanted them to know and remember was that their salvation was a greater and more valuable thing than even their ability to perform these miracles. Again, it's one thing for the angel of the Lord to come to Peter and John when they were in prison and uh, fling open the doors and set the prisoners free. It's a far greater thing to have those who are bound in sin, bondage, in the sin's bondage, to be set free. Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. The Apostle Paul said that his ministry, when he was called to be an apostle, that the Lord Jesus said, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as the Gentiles to whom I now send you to do what? To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's a great work. And he's sending the Apostle Paul to do that. Now, Paul did perform miracles, as did all of the apostles. These were the signs of the apostles, that they were indeed sent by the Lord. But the greater thing was the miracle of the conversion of men and women and boys and girls. In the book of Ephesians, uh, please turn there for a moment, Ephesians chapter 1. We see here that the Apostle Paul speaks of how he's praying for them after he heard of their faith and their love for all the saints. Verse 15, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And what does he pray for them? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance of the saints. And this, verse 19, what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, when he, which he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So he's saying, I want you to understand what God has done. I thank God for your salvation. Since I heard of your faith, what did it take to convert them? It was the same power used to raise Jesus Christ from the dead. So that's why I say it can be called a a miracle, the miracle of conversion. 
in Matthew's gospel, you remember the in chapter nine, the, the healing of the paralytic, the, uh, the the man that they brought to Jesus and they couldn't get in the house. Children, you remember how they took him up on the roof and they opened up the roof and they lowered him down right to the feet of Jesus. And when Jesus looked at him, he says, my son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. That was the greater and more valuable thing than even being healed. But then you remember how the, the scribes said within themselves, well, this man blasphemed. Why? Because they said, he, he says, your sins are forgiven. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus, knowing the evil in their hearts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say arise and walk? Well, you might think, well, to say your sins are forgiven, that's easier. Well, of course, if that's all, if that's all it is, is words, it's easier to say words, your sins are forgiven, than to actually make a man stand up and walk. But it's actually the very opposite of that. To say your sins are forgiven is the harder work, the more difficult work. Far more difficult. Forgiveness, you see, is the most difficult work more difficult than performing a miracle. It's been said that it's easier for God to create the worlds than to forgive sin. Have you ever thought of that? To forgive sins, that was a harder work, a, a, a greater work. Well, Jesus had to do a lot to forgive sins. God had to send His own Son into this world. Sin is a great offense against God. And God had to send His own Son to die on the cross that our sins might be forgiven. So to say your sins are forgiven wasn't just something He could do by fiat and the sins are gone. Like He can brush them under the rug. No, as I said this morning, God is a, is a holy God. He's a righteous God, a just and holy God. He must do what's right. And that means that sin must be punished. For Christ to forgive sins, that means the sins had to be punished. And for Him to say, your sins are forgiven, He knew what that would entail. That those sins, that paralytic sins, must be atoned for. And so it was a far, far more difficult work than to say, rise, stand up, and walk. But then also, when we think of the fulfillment of this promise, we can look at the Great Commission. We talk about the number of miracles. Well, the number of miracles of conversion far, far exceeded that of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had great throngs following Him at times, but in the end... There was 120. There were 120 people gathered in the upper in the upper room there on the day of Pentecost. Just 120. But Jesus, when he gave the great commission, what did he say? Go into all the nations and make disciples, baptizing them and so forth. He's sending them out into the world. And you think for a minute. Here's this carpenter from Galilee. His ministry lasted only three years. If you can try to look at the outward success, you'd have to say it looked like a dismal failure. Just that three and a half years. 
Again, even after the resurrection, there were only a few found who were believing in Him. But then, He's telling these 11 men, fishermen at that, and He says, I'm going to want you to wait here in Jerusalem. Wait for the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall be witnesses of Me in Jerusalem and in Judea and to the end of the earth. And just a few days later, on the day of Pentecost, over 3,000 souls saved on one day. And then the Word of God we read as we're studying the book of Acts, it, it continued to spread. Nothing could stop it. Even those who were coming out against it. The apostles and others just kept preaching. Persecution couldn't stop it. God's kingdom was spreading and nothing could get in the way. The gates of hell could not prevail against it. And so here in the upper room, this, this small band of disciples, disheartened, discouraged, sorrowful, feeling as though they're about to be abandoned, wondering what will become of them and the kingdom of Christ. And this is what they can expect. It's only going to get better. It's only going to get better. And so, this, this question uh, or, or this, this promise of the Lord Jesus Christ that we will do greater works is not to look for greater miracles. I don't think that can be done. Or more miracles. It's never been done. But the salvation of souls continues on to this very day. And every time God saves a soul, a miracle takes place. It may not look like a miracle to us, but what God is doing in the heart and in the inside is a great and mighty work. I thought of the, the hymn, What though I cannot break my chain or air throw off my load, the things impossible to men are possible to God. You remember that's what Jesus said about the rich young ruler. When he came running to Jesus, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, go and sell everything you have. That was the final answer. Go and sell everything you have. Give to the poor and come and follow me. And he couldn't do it. And he walks away sad. And the disciples looking about and looking at one another and looking at Jesus, they ask the question, well, who can be saved? And remember the answer of Jesus. With men, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You see, when the Gospel comes to the center, it's met with resistance. That's why Paul speaks about the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And every argument that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. That's what the sinner's doing. He's making excuses. He's saying why he doesn't believe. And I can't believe. Or I won't believe. All of these excuses because he wants to keep his sin. He loves darkness rather than light. That's all got to change. And that's the work that God does in the heart of a sinner. Bow down to, with 10,000 ties. With men, it's impossible, it says. It says, bow down with 10,000, twice 10,000 ties. Yet let me hear thy call. My soul shall in confidence, my my soul in confidence shall rise, shall rise and break through all. And that's by the power of God, of course. No sinner can 
tear off his chains. Like even Wesley said, long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. He couldn't get up. He couldn't, as J.I. Packer said, he's so sinful that he can't even lift a finger to do God's will or to better his spiritual lot. He's in bondage. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. The dungeon, I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. That's a greater work, and don't let anybody tell you it's not. That's a greater work than the miracles. The miracles were great and wonderful, but they pointed to the fact that Jesus had the power on earth to forgive sins, and the conversion of a sinner is a greater work. Thou canst overcome this heart of mine. Thou wilt victorious prove, but everlasting strength is thine and everlasting love. This is the work that God does. So the greater works, I think it's, it's, it's profitable to understand what they are. So we're not just walking around. We're not doing what Jesus really wants us to do. We should be literally saying to this mountain, be gone, and it skips across the sea. That's not what He called us to do. Of course, there's the power of God to do it. But the greater work is in the conversion of men. Now, as we come to pray... We ought to pray for the conversion of men like we're praying for a healing. Somebody is dying of cancer. They're in the last stages. And we're crying out, Oh Lord, heal them. You alone. The doctors can't do it. You have to do it. When we apply it to a soul, God has to do it. God has to reach in. As Spurgeon said, Turn my heart and make me love Him. That's the miracle of miracles. That's why... Barnabas, when he came to Antioch, he saw the grace of God and did what? He rejoiced. This is the work of God. That's what we ought to be praying for and looking for. May God help us to do that very thing. Let's pray. Father in heaven.